When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business. We're putting the business back into lady business. Remember, it used to just all be about like lady parts. <laughs> um, I'm, into, I'm into the business part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, today we have Nisha Dua. Did I say your name right? Please say it. You did. Nisha Dua. Yeah, that's Nisha right. Nisha Dua. Um, she's general partner at BBG Ventures, which she co-founded with Susan Line in 2014. It's uh, New York-based, uh, seed fund investing. And I'm going to let her actually explain exactly what they invest in and who, because it's very interesting. Awesome. Well, thanks, JJ, for having yes. me. I feel wow. like you have been someone whose career I've followed for, for so long. And now it's so fun to be chatting with you and, and hopefully co-investing together Ooh, uh, in the future. Yes. Um, so BBG Ventures, what is it? It is a venture capital fund, an early stage venture capital fund to invest in female-led companies that we think have the capacity to reshape the lives of millions of people. And what we mean by that is, are these companies that have the capacity to transform either the collective or the individual lived experience of the 99%? And are they improving access, enhancing affordability, reducing friction in the consumer experience? And our thesis around women and, and also diverse women is really that today's consumers, they look like you and me, but they also look very different to us, right? And that consumer profile is completely different than the pale male standard in the financing community who've been making decisions about innovation for so long. Right. Today's consumers are intersectional, more conscious, they're multi-generational, and they're very often underserved. And we think that founders who intuitively understand those consumers who've experienced the same broken systems, the same challenges as those consumers will actually have a real natural competitive advantage in building businesses for them. And so we think that's not going to only drive huge change for our society, but actually enormous value because where there are shifts in society, there's huge ROI. So we think we can capture a really interesting white space in, in the venture capital market. So we um we lead and we co-lead investments at the early stage and we can talk more about mm -hmm. what that means yeah. and what seed stage means in a second but when we think about these big opportunities that have the capacity to reshape 
the lives of so many people, we think about these big areas of consumer spend like health and well-being, climate-friendly consumption. We've added the climate piece recently. Uh, What's happening in work, the future of work, what's happening in education, and then what's happening for sort of emerging consumer sets who've been historically underserved. So that's a pretty broad overview and and then happy to dive deeper on What exactly does all of that mean, actually? Well, first, what does BBG stand for? I know. So BBG is a hat tip to um, a platform I started called Built by Girls. And Built by Girls is a platform to help young women get their first jobs, particularly in technology, but really get their first jobs and build those first networks anywhere. And it's something that you and I have always talked about, right? There's a boys club. Why shouldn't there be a a girls club? And this is the way for those young women to actually create their first networks. Because why shouldn't a girl who's interested in tech, who lives in Ohio, but whose parents own, you know, a a 7-Eleven, why shouldn't she get access to a a virtual reality engineer in in Silicon Valley? And how does she break into those companies? And so the name BBG Ventures, though we don't spell it out, is really a hat tip to that movement that, yeah. that these young women and these women are actually sort of building the world that we want for tomorrow. Yeah. I always um, I always use this analogy. It's like I, I did this. I started the Justice Department because I want women who graduate from college to have their college roommate mom network, not like, yeah. you know what I mean? And I actually gave advice to a woman very like who just graduated from college very recently because a friend of mine's like, Hey, talk to all these women. I was like, this is exactly what I want to happen. <laughs> um, okay. Back to your thesis. Like, so give us a few examples of the kinds of companies that you've invested in that. So, you know, put a little context to it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're spending a lot of time in health and wellness right now. I think about half of the new investments in the fund are in health and wellness. And, you know, we're really looking at it's so expensive to be well in this country. Chronic illness is on the rise. So what we need is affordable, accessible, and proactive and preventative healthcare. So we're looking at companies that are using data to personalize products. We're looking at companies that are bringing services out of the doctor's offices, kind of into our homes, and then also really targeted solutions. So companies that we've invested in recently include companies like Spring Health from this founder, April Co, who with her co-founders have taken and built the largest database of proprietary mental health data in the country and use AI models to help predict what is the right kind of mental health care for you, JJ, or for me, Nisha. Um, And they do that through what we're kind of calling sort of the consumerization of digital health or or even the workplace by creating this beautiful stitch fix-like questionnaire that says, okay, you need this type of psychiatrist or psychologist, and you need to supplement that with exercise and with medication, for example. Right. Um, That's an incredible sort of transformation of the way in which we've thought about mental health to date and and using data to personalize that offering. They just raised a $75 million round from Tiger Global. Mm. Um, You know, their offering is going to be in companies all across the country. We also invested in this awesome company called Uva, a new biomarker health company for women, which has the first at-home pee test for both luteinizing hormone and progesterone. So when you're trying to conceive, you can actually see the data at home that only your doctor can see through a blood test today. 
And you can analyze that through your smartphone by taking a photo of the P test. I just did an IVF cycle, right? And I could take the photos of the test at home and automatically get back, okay, you've ovulated today. You know, this is how much LH you have. This is how much progress. I mean, it's it's game changing to think that we could empower women in this way to know exactly when in their cycle they have the best chance of conceiving. And their next product is a product that will actually predict perimenopause and menopause, which I think is like the, no, the next I think it's level. So important. I think yeah. we're so uneducated when it comes to that stuff, you know? Um, yeah. So, uh, awesome. So I'll give you one other example. Okay. I could talk forever about yeah. all these companies, but we have so many different categories. So we're, we're spending a lot of time in climate. We just invested in one of the lab-grown meat companies. They're still in stealth. It's the only company, one of the very few companies with a female founder. They are miles ahead of many of their competitors. But also in climate, we're thinking a lot about systems that are actually going to enable consumers to change. So rather than just sending someone a product that has sustainable packaging, what are the platforms that are going to enable, you know, resale at scale. Like how does every brand stand up a resale platform? We invest in this company called Treat that's enabling that. Um, How do food and beverage brands actually assess all the ingredients that are going into their products to reduce the carbon impact of your cereal or your crackers or your oatmeal and Planet Forward from Julia Collins is doing that too. So there's some really exciting companies in the portfolio and, you know, we've got over 80 companies now. It's the largest portfolio of female founded companies in the country. Um, And I could, yeah, I mean, it's the value that they're creating and women are amazing, right? They go after a problem that they particularly have experience and try to solve it. And so they bring this sort of like really unique approach to building companies. Right. I know. And so that's, I mean, it was one of the things I was going to ask. It's like, why women, you know? And I find that that, what you just said is more of a new thing. Like forever, we were just like, oh, tampons, you know, like, you know, women didn't invent them. And it's like, we'll just use them. And we never even questioned it. And so it's like- And how ugly was the packaging for tampons? Yeah. And how impractical, right? Yes, exactly. It's like, obviously, somebody invented these that did not have to use them themselves. It's kind of like um, stilettos as well. They're all made by men. (laughs) All of them. Well, and this is the thing, right? Like so many of the beauty companies, we would have this conversation with Moj Madera at BeautyCon all the time. All the CEOs of the major big four, right? L'Oreal, P&G, yeah. they're all men. Yeah. Um, what What do they know about what makeup you and I want to wear? And exactly. In particular, what makeup this new generation wants to wear. And we made this investment in this company called Starface, not a makeup company, but that's exactly the point, right? Like Gen Z are rejecting perfection. They yeah. don't want to look like their older siblings and their mothers looked. And so Starface's first product is an acne patch, which is a gold star that you stick on your pimple. Oh my and goodness. these kids are wearing them out in public, right? They're saying like loud and proud, embrace me and all my perfections. So we really do need this new generation of founders to be representing the people they're building for. Yeah, and that's absolutely. like- why women, right? Like 85% of purchasing decisions made or influenced by women, young women, like the powerhouse early adopters, Snapchat, TikTok, Glossier, Prism Pop, all these new brands that burst out, even Pokemon Go had an early base of young female users. So everywhere it's just like, 
women, women, women. And I think what's exciting about the last five years in particular is we're seeing more of a recognition too that women are not a monolith right? And intersectionality is important. And so, you know, we have 70% of the investments in the new fund have a woman of color or a person of color on the founding team. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so critical that we're building products that represent various parts of the community, not just gender as a construct, right? right? As a monolith. So when should women come? Like, you know, I just had Beth Ferreira on as well, and she was talking about, you know, venture funding. So we got a little education on that. But, you know, when do you think they should come to you? What kind of businesses should they have? And then what exactly does it mean like being in a seed round? Yeah, that's a great question. Let's start with the definition because we get so many pitches every day. And I like to break it up into... Let's not use the word small business because that's pejorative, but are you a business or are you a startup, right? And I think, so there's one type of business that is focused on long-term stable growth. They're thinking about profitability. They want to grow within a comfortable limit. They want to own a lot more of their own company. Mm -hmm. And very often that company has been bootstrapped to start off with, either through personal savings, loans, credit cards, maybe even some crowdfunding. Then on the other hand, you have this word that's become like really sexy and, you know, mythical today, which is I want to run a startup, right? I want to be a founder of a startup. And you can be a founder, whether it's got VC backing or not, which I think is important to remember. But these companies are more driven by top line revenue growth and the potential for that growth super high tolerance for risk and failure. They're trying to get as big, as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Those founders own less of their company and they have very aggressive milestones set by venture capital investors to me. So already you start to see it's not always, well, when should you, the founder, come to me for funding? It's, do you, the founder, want to take VC money? And that's a really great empowering question. But I think that the nuance that people miss And what VCs don't really tell founders about why maybe they reject a founder for investment is the VC model is built such, and I'm sure Beth talked about this on your podcast, but but it's based on sort of this concept of the power law, right? And that one out of 50 investments will actually return the entire amount of of capital that we've invested to our investors. And not only does that one investment have to return all that capital, it has to return multiple times over so that we can make money for our investors. So then you realize, okay, we have to be investing in businesses that have this sort of, you know, you hear this a lot, billion dollar potential or $10 billion potential in terms of um, of value, which could mean, can this company build a $100 million business? And I think people hear those words, those numbers thrown around a lot and, and aren't really sure why. But what the VC is really looking for is what is the leverage in the business that's typically through like some new technology or business model that enables a company to get that hockey stick growth to like that $100 million over the course of kind of seven to 10 years. And so there are big market opportunities, but it's not always clear that that fast growth can be achieved. And I actually really like the way Mark Andreessen, uh, I think, once put it in a blog post, which is sort of, 
leverage in this context means the ability to make something once, like a piece of software or a chip design, a website, and sell it directly or indirectly to a lot of people, like 10 million consumers, 1,000 business customers, that gets you that hockey stick growth. Right. That also is really valuable because if you do have that sort of business as a woman, when you're pitching your business, you need to think about framing the story that way. And it's okay to acknowledge that your business might not have that profile because, by the way, those businesses can still make a lot of money. And and one of the examples I like to give is um, the founders of the the deodorant brand Native, they sold to P&G for $100 million. They only ever took $500,000 of funding. So by the time they sold it, they owned like 95% of the business, right? So these so-called small businesses or lifestyle businesses, which are given these pejorative names, can be really big businesses for a founder. Now, contrast that with a company like, like let's take a startup company like Casper, high growth, raised a lot of money, raised like $375 million in funding, I think was valued at over a billion dollars by their last private round. Their IPO listing valuation was less than half of that. And there were five co-founders. So, you know, and that's not like, that's not calling out this particular company. It's just, these are the dynamics of, you know, the outcome for VC is selling a company for a lot of money or taking it public, most often taking it public. And so then you really run into these very tricky dynamics. So all to say, like, if you're a founder listening to JJ's podcast, you should really be thinking not, oh my God, I've got to go raise money from a VC because I'm a founder, but do I want to raise money from VC and what do yeah. I want to achieve with this business? Yeah. It's only that. It's like, there's certain businesses that just shouldn't like service businesses like mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I would never, like, if I can't support myself and my business in what I'm doing in the services that I provide, then I don't have an, an ongoing business and a going concern really. Yeah. And a good way to think about that, like if, you know, if you listen to all of that and you're still thinking, you know, is my business right for venture? Right. Is like, is it repeatable and scalable, right? Like right. is what I'm making so repeatable that it can get so big? And at the end of the day, your example is so good because it's like, you know what, there's only one JJ yeah. and maybe you'll hire a few people, right? Yeah. And, and you can replicate that model to a yeah. To an extent. So I really like that example. Yeah. I find myself scalable in that when I invest in other people's companies and help them. And then that's when it's like, I can get multiples and returns, but you know, yeah, it's like, you know, and just even understanding that is I think super helpful. I want to unpack a little bit about what you were saying, because I want to make sure that all of these terms that are being banned yeah. out, like are not like, so when you talk about top line revenue, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So the overall revenue the company is making, and I go back to like my Bain days as a consultant, right? Which is profitability equals revenue minus costs. And your revenue is like in its most basic terms, it's P times Q, price times quantity. Yeah. So how many things are you making that you're selling for a certain price and what is the company taking, right? And so can we get that number up? very, very high. Now, 
Obviously, if your costs are very high, then you have a low, what's called a low margin business. Yeah. Um, you're not making a lot of profit. And that isn't a great profile always for a venture capital business. We're typically looking at high revenue, high margin. So that gap between revenue and costs yeah. is, is high. Um, but all to say in a venture business, that P, that profitability is not the most important thing. Yeah. Which is so weird. I think that's hard for women. And it's so crazy. We like to make money. And then you hear about these people like they've never made a dime and they're public and they're worth billions of dollars. And you're just like, wait, what? And you know, listen, I shouldn't pretend that profitability doesn't matter. I think VCs are increasingly looking for it, but what they're really looking for is a plan to be profitable, right? right? So like, how do I achieve that scale in revenue in a reasonable way, but in a way that is overall sustainable? And, you know, you're right, right? Like there are companies like Uber that still have yet to to make money. Um, And it's true that the promise of, in many cases, is enough. But I think that's why it's really important. You know, like women, right, will often say, well, here's what I know I can achieve with exactly what I've got today versus here's what I think I could achieve if I was given a lot. And if you give me the world, here's what I'm going to go do with it. Exactly. Okay. So then let's talk about when you invest, like the seed stage. Like, do you have to have a business launched or do you, have you ever given money to somebody with an idea? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of think about it like this. You've sort of got what people loosely call friends and family, which is a really bad term because who's got who's got that friends and family, rich white boys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and who's got, or, and then maybe angel money. And sometimes they sit side by side. Sometimes yeah. it comes after. And then you've got, there's a term called pre-seed and a term called seed. Now at the end of the day, these labels are really just labels. So one way to think about it is actually about dollar values. So typically for those very early rounds, friends and family, Angel, you might be raising like 250K just to get a some testing or a concept off the ground. At pre-seed, you might be raising like one to $2 million. And today at seed stage, you could be raising, you know, anywhere between two to five billion because actually right. ground sizes are getting bigger. But technically speaking, pre-seed, you very often don't have anything in market and at seed you have something in market right that's not necessarily true by the time you get to the investing stakes because it really kind of depends on what is the round size and if someone came to me and said I'm raising a four million dollar round I'm not going to call it a pre-seed round but like the market is so crazy that people call big seed rounds avocados and it makes me want to like throw up my guts. Oh my so, God, that's the first time so, I've heard that. See, yeah, it's, li- it's the worst. Avocado, an avocado, <laughs> an avocado round. round? No, no, thank you. No one needs that. See, this is the kind um, of stuff that drives me crazy why I started this podcast because I have this famous story about dry powder and I was sitting on this call with a bunch of people talking about dry powder. And thankfully it was like, I was on a call. So I got to look it up and I was like, extra money. Like, yeah, that- you could also just say you've got money in the bank to exactly. be used, which so would be just all fine. these like terms that makes women feel like stupid and they don't want to ask. And then like, you know, yeah. and yeah. then down the road, you're like, oh shit, I totally have dry powder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we do pre-seed and seed, which means we do invest in companies sometimes where they're, it's just an idea. And yeah. a deck. Typically for that to be true, we have to have 
good confidence that the founder's experience is so specific or unique to solving this problem that they're going to really hit the ground running to be able to use that capital efficiently. Um, Typically at the seed stage, we do want to see some evidence of traction in market. Now, Traction doesn't always have to mean that you, you know, have the full app launched or the full business launched and in market and you've got a thousand customers, whatever. What it can mean is actually I've hacked together something that's kind of an MVP that shows that people want to use this product. I have learnings about the consumer that's you. Katrina Lake at Stitch Fit is a great example of this. I think she was capturing um, people's preferences and their orders on an Excel spreadsheet right at the beginning of Stitch Fix's life, right? right? So you can kind of build, you know, insight and early product or indications of early product fit through very hacky ways. But even with a pre-seed company, I mean, we want to see that you've talked to a bunch of consumers and you have some insights around, you know, why they'd be interested in this. So anything you can do to show, you know, some sort of real life, Interest yeah. or traction, I think, is always good. Listen, it is true that there are men out there who walk in with a deck and raise a shitload of money. Yeah. That's for them. Like, I'm telling you what we like to see. Yeah, of course. Um, but a, a great example of this is a woman, Shanna Tellerman. She runs a company called Modzi. Modzi is this incredible interior design company driven by technology. You send them photos of your room. You walk around the corners of your room with your iPhone camera and they will empty your room of furniture and create a perfect 3D rendering of furniture in any new style, like mid-century modern, shabby chic, uh, so you can see your room fully designed. And that's an extraordinary piece of 3D rendering technology. But Shanna's first company had been in the 3D animation space. It got acquired by Autodesk, which is well known for this area of technology. And she was a product manager there. So she had this like really unique insight into the technology that was going to be required. And she'd built a team to do that. So we did that company at the pre-seed and we'd also gotten to know her for a while. And, and I think like that really counts. And I think, you know, founders should never underestimate the, the value of getting to know an investor ahead of time to build a relationship before you're actively raising. So when they are about to raise, And if you give them like advice now, like what do you think are the things that they need to know, like things that like could be much more helpful for them when they're in, when they get to a deck and a dream, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So if the question is, what do you need to know now so that you can go in and nail the pitch? I would say you want to tell a great story about why this product why now and why you as a founder or a team. Right. So I think what a lot of founders don't do a great job of is explaining why your product is so uniquely different from everything out there. Sounds obvious, but a lot of people kind of leave that on the table, right? They don't, they pretend there's no competition. There's always competition, right? So like you should always be, even if this product doesn't exist, someone is doing this in a way 
through Excel spreadsheets or through like manual labor, right? Today, that is the competition. So never forget that you have to talk about like, why is this a painkiller? Why is it so better than everything else that's on the market? I think this unique insight about why this product's going to succeed now, the why now, is actually like really undervalued in storytelling. What is it about what's happening in the market? Either it's, you know, a new type of technology that enable, like, right? Like Uber wouldn't have worked, but for the smartphone, but for, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. IOS, we already had right? like black cars that we could call. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then thirdly, and this one, this one I think is like, such an overlooked part of the story is why are you going to be the one to win? Like why you, why your team? Because at these early stages, we are really betting on the people to say, we think you can figure it out. We think you can execute on it. So a lot of people bury the lead on their team and they, you know, they'll, they'll put the team right at the end and there are ways to hack this, right? Like you don't have to have worked at Facebook or Google or Dropbox or Uber or whatever, for someone to feel like you're the right person. What is so unique in your experience that gives you this insight in how to build for this customer? What is your superpower? What are the superpowers of the other people in the team? So I really recommend sitting down and thinking, okay, what are the things a business like this needs to win? So if you're a D2C business or a consumer goods business, you need a great marketer. And do you have a marketer on the team today? So for the founders who are maybe just themselves and don't have a team yet, they'd say, well, I don't know, like, I just have this idea. What do you want me to do? So one thing you can do is say, here's the team I know I need to hire and I'm going to hire right. people like this. Here are yeah. the LinkedIn profiles or here are people who are already working Smart. for me for free, right? So you're always like giving this sense that you're three steps ahead and you know how to go ahead and execute on this. Yeah. So you can do a lot with a little, even in your storytelling. That No, that is so smart because, you know, I know some women who have incredible businesses that are so obvious to me, but they're creatives. So yeah. to think about scaling a business, they don't know anything and they get creatives get paralyzed when it comes to business. And they're yeah. not usually that great at the pitches, but their businesses are genius and like, yeah. That is, I hadn't even thought about that. So I just learned something. So thank you. Awesome. Um, amazing. That's such great advice. Um, look, I could talk to you all day, but I know that you have a job to do. And so do I. So um, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nisha. If anybody wants to find you at uh, BBG, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Nish67. And you can email us hello at bbgventures.com and pitch us. Well, thank you everybody for listening and watching this amazing episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. If I do say so myself, it's amazing. It's super <laughs> awesome. Um, subscribe, comment, leave reviews, tell us um, other topics that you want. Um, and thank you. So, till next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.